Well, this is Shabbat Hagadol. Uh, and uh, last week, you know that we, uh, we've been talking about our uh, statement of faith. Uh, and we've been talking about the land of uh, Israel. Uh, right now, we talked about the calling of the people. We talked about the Torah and the land. Now, uh, last week, uh, I began talking about the land. And I said, uh, just when we were getting to, and is this promise in the scriptures continued in the Brit Hadashah, which is where the road gets bumpy for some people. Uh, and I said, oh, we'll come to that next week. But then, you know, I decided that this is Shabbat Hagadol, and I, and I knew uh, this morning that we we're raising up uh, Shamashim, and uh, uh, I knew also that I would not have time to give this very important topic the justice it deserves. So... Next Shabbat, we're going to talk about the land in the Brit Hadashah and the uh, threats in today's world coming from both uh, the world of uh, Messiah followers, of believers, and, uh, and from without. And uh, next week, we'll talk about that. Today, I thought we would talk a little bit about Shabbat Hagadol, about, uh, we would talk about uh, Passover, we would talk about what it means to us. You know, when we come to uh, holidays, my great concern, of course I have this concern every Shabbat too, but uh, my great concern when we come to holidays is that they're just holidays. You know, that, well, it's time for Passover, let's get the machine going. You know, uh, congregationally, the Seder and all that goes into that and tables and setting up. Uh, you know, and by the way, regard, in regard to that, you would be surprised, maybe you wouldn't be, how much effort it takes for us to have our Seder, our community Seder. A lot of effort, uh, really does. And it's always uh, very much worth it, but sometimes it, we can forget what it's all about. Not only that, but at home. You know, and I don't know about you, but, you know, uh, some, uh, we change the dishes, I, we, uh, you know, we make sure all the chametz is gone from the house. We go to the store. We, we, there's a lot that goes on. You know, the, um, the, the, the flag changes, uh, uh, to the flag of Manashevitz, right? Uh, orange and green during this week. It's, um, there's a lot that goes on. A lot of work. Not only here, not only uh, at Passover, but all the holidays. When we come to the high holy days. Sometimes it's just, well, this is the day. Oh, we're going to fast on Yom Kippur. Oh, you know, uh, these are the uh, go. We are, are, we're supposed to go to services, and oh, they're kind of long, and oh, eventually they'll be over, and and all of that. And when that happens, we miss out on the on the depth of meaning and appreciation uh, uh, in our own lives, and we miss out on the richness of it. Not only that, but as believers and celebrating these holidays, we also have a tendency sometimes to miss the point. Now, what I mean by that is that we have a tendency, uh, and we have good motives in this, and we often get, get it pretty much right. I mean, I'm kind of preaching to the choir a little bit here. And that is that when we come to Passover, for example, and we celebrate the Seder, we're not simply coming to... Now, I'm going to have to unpack this or you're going to run away. We're not coming to simply experience Messiah in the Passover, like a presentation of Messiah in the Passover. Okay, this points to Yeshua, this points to Yeshua, this points to Yeshua, and this points to Yeshua. Now it does, and that's a really good thing. 
And we need to exemplify that. And we need to make a big deal out of that. But just like Yeshua said to the Pharisees about the, the, the Torah, he said, he, remember what he said about uh, 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 love, uh, uh, faithfulness, uh, and mercy? Do this without neglecting the others. And so we need to remember that God has been faithful to Israel, not just starting with Yeshua, but all the way back. And that we really are remembering this tremendous history that God has given to us. You know that there is, uh, in the Bible, no word for history. Isn't that interesting? History. If you uh, do uh, a, a search of a concordance and you put in history, the word H-I-S-T-O-R-Y in your English Bible, I don't think you're going to get a, a hit. Unless it's not a translation, you know, and it's a paraphrase or something, perhaps. But what you do see a lot is the word remember. Remember, 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 remember. Okay? Uh, there's lots of places, uh, you know, where we could uh, uh, turn and learn that. One of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, remember that uh, Moses uh, is at the brink of Eretz Yisrael. They're right there. They're on the plains of Moab. And Moses is basically giving instructions before they go in. And uh, he says uh, uh, here, uh, let's see, beginning in um, verse 12. Okay, It shall come about because you listen to these judgments and keep them and do them, that the Lord your God will, will uh, keep with you his covenant, his loving kindness that he swore to your forefathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your new wine uh, and your oil and so on. And, and all of the varieties uh, uh, of ways. Uh, but he tells them uh, and he admonishes them that they uh, need to uh, remember uh, how he kept them and brought them into the land. By obeying his word, that is a way, of course, that they're remembering. But he actually says to them, remember, as this passage continues. If you go to the next chapter, in chapter 8, uh, he says this, All the commandments that I'm commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, uh, 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 testing you to know what was in your heart, whether uh, you would keep his commandments uh, or not. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking for all the different words, but he, he later on says, don't forget, but remember. And if you uh, read this whole passage, you will see, and in varieties of other places, that he tells them to remember what he did, not just to remember that he exists or to remember the words of the Torah, remember this command and that command, but remember who God is, to uh, remember uh, uh, his interaction with them. And remembrance uh, in this way is not simply uh, a cognitive, not simply I wrote it down on a piece of paper uh, and so I don't forget. No, it's remember by uh, experiencing it all over again and identifying with that history in a very personal kind of way. So when we remember our history, and that's the purpose, you know, of the Seder, 
is to remember our history. We go through the Seder, and the Seder is telling us a story. It's telling us a story of how we went to Egypt and how we flourished in Egypt and how we became slaves in Egypt and how God raised up Moses to bring us out of Egypt and, and about how the, our uh, ancestors on that very last night had a special uh, a meal as they were ready to leave Egypt and they had lamb and they had bitter herbs and they had matzah and we reenacted. We're reliving the moment. That's what's happening. So whether we're a stockbroker, we're a teacher, uh, we're a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer. In 2014, we are brought back, we go in, so to speak, the Passover time machine. And we go back and we relive this moment. And we do so with our eyes, our ears, uh, our sense of smell, our sense of taste. Uh, uh, all of these senses uh, are hearing as well uh, because through our senses, we're brought back to this place of remembering this great history. But what's wonderful is not only uh, are we remembering uh, it with our senses, with, with those uh, uh, ways and bringing us all the way back to coming out of Egypt, but also because of our relationship with Yeshua, the Lamb of God, it becomes our own banquet of testimony. It becomes the Passover Seder of our own lives. And therefore the the events of 5,000 years ago mirror our own lives, as we'll see, uh, communally anyway, on, on Tuesday night. And uh, you know that uh, if you're familiar with the Haggadah, uh, if you're really familiar with the Haggadah, like if you grew up in a, in a traditional setting, you know that the Seder takes a really long time. And uh, I know people say, oh, our Passover Seder at Beth Messiah, it takes a long time. We're only trying to give you a realistic experience. That's it. Okay, uh, and uh, uh, but in the Haggadah, and I remember, I can tell you, when I was uh, a little boy, and my grandfather led the seder, and we, you know, you always had a hope. I didn't realize it at the time, but you had a hope that daylight savings time wouldn't wouldn't start, uh, because like tonight, you know, this, we'll be almost done with our seder, probably. To be honest with you, by the time. Uh, many, uh, very many who are quite traditional are beginning because you have to wait till the sun goes down. Okay, uh, and so it begins quite late. Well, we're uh, going to begin a little bit earlier, but that's okay. Uh, but the point being that uh, it's a long time, and I remember, and it was all in Hebrew and Yiddish when I was growing up. That it would just go on and on and on. But little did I realize that the bulk of the seder actually was commentary on four verses of the Bible. I don't know if you're aware of it, that in the part of the Seder, see, the beginning of the Seder is explaining why we celebrate Passover, how we celebrate Passover, and who celebrates Passover. And then finally, we get to actually retelling the story. But the retelling of the story traditionally comes from four verses in Deuteronomy chapter 26. You can read it in, in your Haggadah, okay? In a verse, of, it begins in verse 5 and goes through verse uh, 9 of Deuteronomy 26, and the sages of old decided that this would be what we would tell. But uh, as in keeping with uh, sagacity, perhaps, uh, they wrote a lot about these verses, uh, and that's why the Haggadah has so much in it. But the four verses are, are right here in Deuteronomy, beginning in uh, chapter 26 and verse 5. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, this is when, when you enter the land and you bring an offering, this is what you should say. 
It's the first liturgy written out in the Bible. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. But there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation. Okay? So he's saying, at the beginning, we were nothing. We were nothing. My father was a wandering Aramean. That's the point. You know, we were nothing. And God brought us to Egypt. And there we flourished in Egypt. Okay? And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. And we became slaves. Right? We became slaves. Now, it's interesting. The rabbis thought about it. Well, in the Haggadah, when we answer the questions of why we're here, why we do what we do after the Manish Tanai, after the four questions, why are we here? The first thing is, we were slaves. We were slaves. But then they also decided we need to think about why we were slaves. And then it says, we were idolaters. It's interesting. We were slaves. We were idolaters. See, The rabbis say, when you tell the story of uh, the outgoing from uh, Egypt, we move from shame to praise. From shame to praise. We were nothing. We were in Egypt. We were nothing. We were in Egypt. We were slaves. And we were idolaters. Shame. And we know, in our own personal testimonies, we also move from shame to praise. Who are we? Who are any of us? Who are you? Who am I? Right? Whether we realized it or not, and maybe some of us uh, more than others may, that we uh, are uh, sinful people that cannot live out being the image bearer of God that God called us to be. We are all tainted with sin, some uh, more uh, physically noticeable than others. In other words, some of us uh, maybe were involved in some really bad stuff that we were redeemed out of. But whether we realize it or not, we're all involved in bad stuff. You know, have you ever uh, thought to yourself, who do you think is worse off? A person with a disease who experiences pain and sorrow and goes to the doctor to uh, get help, or a person who's really sick and perhaps on the inside, you know, has something really, really wrong with them, but does not feel pain at all uh, and just uh, is going right along in life. Who's the one that's worse off? Hmm. Perhaps the one who doesn't get it. At least the one who gets it, gets it, sees it, recognizes it, and looks for help. See? And so all of us, I I certainly have missed out on the glory of God, as Paul tells us. All of us uh, uh, are uh, sinners. All of us, no matter who we are, no matter how great we think we are, uh, uh, have uh, sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the glory of God, um, being fully human, being an image bearer of God. Don't go on a tangent, Howard. Okay, I won't. Okay, that's what we're called to be. So we start with shame. And you know, isn't it interesting? So uh, here, my father was a wandering Aramean, I'm nothing. And we go to uh, Egypt and we become a great nation. Maybe even for some of us, you know, yes, I'm a sinner, but I have some really great credentials. You know, uh, I, uh, I've made it in this life. I, uh, through uh, tenacity and perseverance and education, and, uh, you know, I, I've become a great nation, so to speak, you know. Uh, but uh, we know that one way or another, when we uh, know Yeshua, God has confronted us with our enslavement. Somehow, on some level, we become understand- understanding of our enslavement. Okay? And it's interesting, you know, when you talk about the history of our congregation, and, and I'll tell you my own personal history of dealing with people, and of, uh, uh, of sharing the good news with people, and seeing people come to faith, it is amazing the kinds of people that you meet 
When I was a child, I would have never thought of the kinds of people that I uh, have met in my life. Uh, but, you know, when, when you think about it, uh, people have come to know the Lord who have had terrible, made terrible choices in their lives uh, and, and really just living horrible lives and have come out of the whole thing. You know, I know a man uh, in Cleveland uh, who was a rough guy, Jewish, a man, very rough. He was a, a roofing contractor and he was uh, very successful. And so what he would do is he would go to work at seven o'clock in the morning. He'd be done by about 1030 because he would send out his, his groups, his teams. And then from 1030 to about six o'clock, he was at a bar and other places. Uh, and uh, a real, and a big guy, you know, a rough and tumble kind of guy. And through a series of circumstances, he came to faith. And uh, after he became a believer, the day, the day he became a believer, he went to, this was, he went to this bar, right? And uh, now this doesn't happen to a lot of people, but it happened to him. So he takes a drink of whatever he usually drank, and he had to spit it out because it, he could not uh, tolerate it. It was an amazing story. And this guy just was a transformed person. Others, like myself, it's a slow, uh, we're like turtles, you know? It's a slow process. But we continue to, to walk with the Lord. But boy, doctors, lawyers, uh, uh, teachers, people of all walks of life have come to faith uh, through uh, our ministry here at Beth Messiah and back when I was with the Chosen People Ministries and other places as well. Uh, it's an amazing thing to see how God reaches people where they are. People uh, in great success who've become a great nation and people who just simply recognize their slavery right in front of them. That's the power of God, right? What did uh, Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Yes, to Jews, to the Jew first, but also to the Greeks. You know what that means? The Greeks doesn't just mean Gentiles. When you read Romans 1, he differentiates groups of people. Gentiles, the aristocracy, Rome, the leaders, the power people, even them, it is the power of God. They hold the power over people, but God holds the power over them. See? Uh, and so it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Yes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. See? Uh, and so uh, we see our own testimony right, uh, right here. And then uh, the passage uh, goes on to say, And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And so uh, they cried out to God. And interestingly enough, when you turn uh, to the second chapter of Exodus, you see that at first it says they cried out. It doesn't say they cried out to God or to the God of their fathers. It just says they cried out. And then it says, God heard their voice and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what the text says. Okay? So God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we read here, And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And so he brought us out of Egypt in a very powerful, powerful uh, way. And so even in our own lives, well, we know in a powerful way, by the, by the blood of the lamb first, right? They, they had to put the blood on the door, and that was a sign. And then not only that, but with great wonders, that when they got to the Red Sea, God parted the waters, and they crossed on dry ground. 
And it is true that in our own lives, God hears our cry. Sometimes even when we don't know exactly who we're crying out to, just like our ancestors, he hears our cry. He might bring somebody into our lives that we never met that shares this message of Yeshua. Uh, he uh, 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 might bring someone to us to, to instill within us the understanding of the need to cry out to him, even from square one. He convicts us of sin, the Bible says. The Ruach HaKodesh convicts us of sin. You know, this is his work uh, in our uh, lives. So nonetheless, he heard their cry and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, later on in history, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he sent Yeshua into this world to live and to die and to be raised from the dead. He remembered his covenant relationship with Yeshua. That is what Zechariah's speech is all about in Luke chapter 1, about how God has remembered that. You know, when you read uh, in the Gospel of Luke, that part uh, of the passage I'll just read a little tiny bit of it in his speech. You know, the more I study the Gospel of Luke, the more I understand uh, its Jewish thrust in tremendous, tremendous ways. In uh, verse 68, this is the beginning of Zacharias' speech. It says, you know, John's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us, and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now, this is all uh, talk from the Hebrew Scriptures. This is uh, this could have been written in one of the prophets. See, the way it's written. He has, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke, in the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and the hand of all who hate us. Isn't it true that so many of the messianic prophecies are about the vindication of the land of Israel and, and God chastening the enemies of the Jewish people? We like to make everything into a metaphor as if it never really existed. See, that's the whole issue with the land that we'll, we'll, we're going to talk more about next time. Uh, when he says, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham and our father to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, and so on. The point is, is that he recognized, Zacharias, this priest, recognized that Yeshua is the one whom all the prophets look forward to, not only to take away our sins so we can go to heaven when we die, but to uh, take away our enemies and give us peace in the land, uh, and to, to be king of Israel. Zacharias is saying all those things. He's talking about, you could read these words of Zacharias in any Jewish community, just not say where it came from, and you could ask the question, is this kind of like what you think the Messiah would do? Yes, this is the expectation of the coming of the Messiah, that he's going to bring peace, and he's, he's going to uh, take away our enemies, and and uh, and he'll be king in the land of Israel. Isn't that interesting? And and uh, that's exactly who he is. That is exactly who he is. But we know from further revelation that the mystery of this kingdom, uh, and the unfolding of it over uh, over all of this uh, time, and what the future holds, and all of that, 
um, you know, with the second coming of Messiah and, and so on and so forth. But uh, the, the point being is that God, when he sent Yeshua, did remember that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, the coming of Yeshua is uh, the vindication of the truthfulness of, uh, of God. And we know that in this history of the coming of Yeshua, that even to this very day, God remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because in Romans chapter 11, toward the end of it, when we read about all Israel shall be saved, shall be delivered. It means the same thing that Zechariah meant, which includes obviously a spiritual deliverance. When he says here in verse 25, I do not want you to be, want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery, speaking to Gentiles, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And thus all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's talking about the calling of Israel. It's not talking about the calling of the church. Okay? It's talking about the calling of Israel. And when you read the new covenant, when you read about the deliverer coming from Zion, read these verses in their context. And you see that God is faithful to his covenant. And so God hears even today. And he hears our cry, uh, and he is faithful to the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, when it comes to our testimony of receiving Messiah into our lives and having eternal life and, you know, and, uh, and all of that, uh, you know, the forgiveness of our sins and being adopted and uh, uh, as, uh, as sons of God, whether we're Jewish or Gentile, uh, he is indeed uh, a revelation uh, to Gentiles and the glory of Israel, as uh, it also says in, in Luke. But getting back here to Deuteronomy chapter 26, when he says uh, here that uh, he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, we all have a testimony. God, in his faithfulness to his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent the Messiah uh, to be the deliverer of Israel and the revelation to the Gentiles. Right As it says in Isaiah 49 and elsewhere, that uh, he is uh, salvation to everyone who believes, uh, Jew or Gentile. But the point is, is that we all have a testimony, just as Israel has a testimony. You know, we all come to know the Lord in different ways, but every single one of us has a miraculous story. We just define miraculous in ways we like, you know. Someone was uh, sharing with me recently that uh, they, uh, they uh, asked a few people in our congregation about how they came to know the Lord. And he said, yeah, I heard a few real miraculous stories. And so I said, I said, you know, every story is miraculous. Every time someone comes to faith, God has broken into this world again. There, uh, uh, it, is, it is a miracle that any of us can embrace Yeshua. It is a miracle that any of us can say, yes, I embrace Yeshua. I believe the scriptures. Uh, I believe uh, in the nature of God. I believe and I trust in him and, and I uh, see my place in, in his work. And, and I believe that, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, in the invisible God of Israel and the Messiah and, and all of it. That's miraculous. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what uh, kind of event took place when you received the Lord. See, uh, it is supernatural 
uh, just as it was supernatural for Israel to be redeemed, it's supernatural for any one of us. It's all by the grace of God, every bit of it, uh, by the grace of God. And so then he says here, and he brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, what's interesting is, is that they still did not get in this land yet when he says this, right? Although, oh, well, when he says this, they've just walked in. They've just come in and has given us this land of milk and honey. But, you know, back in the eighth, uh, eighth chapter of Deuteronomy, uh, that phrase comes from Deuteronomy 8, where Moses describes the land that they had not yet entered into in glorious terms. And so all of us are on a journey In one way, we've arrived. In one sense, we've arrived in that we've been redeemed. But in another sense, we're still on a journey. We're still on a journey, and we look forward to that day. That day when we will be as pure as he is. That day when we dwell with him forever. That day when we're raised from the dead. That is our hope. That is what we know. That is uh, the trajectory of our our, uh, future. See? And so Passover, the celebration of Passover helps us to pause and to remember our story, our eyewitness account of what God has done in our own lives. It sort of brings us back to the basics, see, and helps us to be able to be ever more thankful for what God has done in our lives. And so when uh, you celebrate your uh, Seder on Monday night and, and then hopefully with us at Beth Messiah on Tuesday night, or, or if you're like me, last night and Wednesday night too, and Thursday night and a few other nights, that uh, you will uh, indeed appreciate, be thankful, and experience all over again. That sense of wonder and that sense of amazement of the work of God in this world in the person of Yeshua, of the Lamb of God who came to take away uh, the sins of uh, the world. And so, uh, you know, with that thought, I hope that over the next uh, couple of days, uh, you'll take some time to prepare your heart uh, for uh, Passover, you know, and that uh, you'll come to the Seder not just looking for a good meal and a good time and nice singing, but that it would really make a difference and deepen your love for God and your appreciation for Him and, most importantly, your walk uh, with uh, the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You uh, for this testimony that we have. Lord, uh, we thank you, God, uh, that when uh, Miriam became with child, became pregnant, and uh, the angel came and spoke to her, when Gabriel came and spoke to her, that he said that you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Yeshua. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Lord, we thank you, God, that he truly is the son of David. He truly is the Messiah of Israel, Lord. And thank you, God, that Yeshua truly is indeed the lamb who came to die for our sins, Lord. We thank you, God, that all of us started with shame, but we end with praise because you, Lord, have raised us up. You, Lord, have delivered us. You, Lord, have given us today your ruach to guide us and guide our lives and lead our lives so we can live as the scriptures call it an abundant life. But Lord, Dayenu, that would have been enough. But Lord, thank you, God, for the great hope that we have that this journey is indeed going to end. And we will indeed 
uh, enter uh, a land, a time, a place, Lord, of restoration. A restoration of uh, Yerushalayim. A restoration of Israel and of this world. And you will live in this world in Jerusalem and you will be our king. And Lord, we look forward to that great day. And so God, thank you, Lord, that we've been delivered. And thank you, Lord, that you, you guide us and direct us on this journey. And thank you, Lord, for a great hope and a great future. And we pray in Yeshua's name.